This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where each week we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program's live events, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, Chelsea Manning discusses trans identity, government transparency, and life after prison with CIAS professor Carolyn Cook. This event was recorded on March 30, 2018, in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. It's a great, great pleasure to be here and uh, be in conversation with Chelsea Manning. Um, Thank you. (laughs) We were just hanging out in the green room with Chelsea's entourage. Very hip, hip crowd. Entourage. I want to just jump right in um, with two aspects of your life. Okay. Um, Can you describe or compare two actions that you took around 2010? One, leaking a quarter of a million Department of Defense documents detailing the nature of 21st century asymmetric warfare to WikiLeaks, the largest leak of classified records in American history. And two... Two, coming out as Chelsea Manning, a trans woman, as a woman, the day after your sentencing to a 35-year term in a men's military prison. These are like two huge, epic actions. How were they similar or different? I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm making decisions based on who I am and what my values are and, you know, whether or, you know, I, I, they're, they're very different decisions that I've made under different circumstances, certainly. Um, And I didn't necessarily understand the implications of either of them at the time. Um, You know, that's a very, that's a very loaded question. And it's one that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm I'm trying to do a compare and contrast essay, I think, on the spot of two two of those big decisions, I think, is is really difficult. I thought we could bond early over a difficult experience of, like, a hard question. Yeah, and it is is a hard question, but I I think the the common thread uh, is the fact that I'm I'm basically put into circumstances where I have to make a decision based on either a horrific thing that's happening out externally and how I'm dealing with that or with a you know with an un- uncomfortable thing that's happening internally and how to deal with the external part so I guess there's a different there's like a one's more of a uh, of it's, it's sort of like a different relationship like one's a relationship with between me as an individual in this bigger world and then it's a, the bigger world and like how I fit into it as this tiny individual mm-hmm. <laughs> right so you're a private in the army, working as an intelligence specialist. Well, I was a spe- I was a specialist. A specialist. With the rank, kinda, a specialist. I mean, 
and your job is to be, um, you have high security clearance, um, your job is to sort out significant actions. So I'm interested in like exactly what your work was, what you were looking at, and what your job was. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to talk about because um, a lot of that stuff is still, you know, considered... It, I mean, as, as ridiculous as, as it sounds, even though it's been out there for years, it's it's still considered you know a state secret. And um, but I can I can talk in generalities about the fact that being an analyst is like you're determining based on and in my particular role, I was a statistic. You know, I work with statistics, so I've worked primarily with. Um, with large data sets and how those data sets can interrelate together and make predictions based upon that using Bayesian statistics in particular to sort of, uh, sort of a um, Bayesian statistics being like, uh, be able to build a, a predictive model based on, you know, in, increasing, um, in, an increasingly accurate, you know, it's a very, very dangerous term to use, data set that you're basically, it's learn, it's like a data set, you're able to learn based off of the statistics. It's, I mean, I'm just using these terms, they're interchangeable with yeah. like other concepts. Um, and a lot of this is now sort of falling under the rubric of what's understood as being artificial intelligence. The, um, the, the algorithms that we were using at the time were more prim, were, were, were we're more primitive than some of the more neural-based ones that we have now, but the principles remain the same. And uh, again, you're feeding large data sets to make predict to an algorithm to make you know to make uh, to make predictions and then make decisions upon those predictions. Um, and uh, that's there's a lot of trial and error that goes with that, and it's a, it's also yeah, and I. I, I I learned a lot of this from, you know, doing marketing work previously where huh. um, you're basically taking a large, you know, I worked at a photo hosting company and making a lot of predictions based off of, uh, off of, you know, what people like in terms of how they upload photos, how they look at photos, how they download photos, mm -hmm. um, on, you know, on a uh, photo hosting site. And, uh, it's marketing. You're essentially mar you're, you're building a marketing profile right. for, for for people, and right. so we were. That's what we were kind of doing. Was we, hmm. we were building a marketing profile on people based on data that we were collecting, and then making life and death decisions based upon the same, actually less accurate information than we were getting at a photo hosting company. Wow. You know, and you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we were, were operating, you know, with this notion of like, well, you know, like if if we're operating with thirty percent accuracy, that's pretty good, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's sort of this notion of like we're using marketing software and marketing technology, mm -hmm. and we're inputting it into a combat environment, and now wow. it's we're marketing for death, essentially. Wow. Yeah. So, so in a sense, you were, it, it's kind of machine learning, but you're the app, kind of, like... Um... Well, it's a lot more... It is machine learning. Um, it was a lot more hands-on back then. Uh, 2010, uh, the processing power for a lot of the servers today is much better. Some of the algorithms... I mean, there's newer algorithms and with, like, neural network learning, um, things that are more based off of uh, emulations based mm -hmm. off, you know, like, 
uh, like Google's TensorFlow, for instance, you know, is is a very uh, you know it's a very, like we didn't have if we, we didn't have this this like same capability mm -hmm. that we had, and also there's much more specified or much more specific you know processing capability now that uh, certain chips and processors can provide that we were just using run-of-the-mill uh, processors, but lots of them, mm -hmm. um, and in the field, so they would heat up, mm -hmm. uh, and that was always a challenge because data would get lost. You know, processors would burn out, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, maintaining servers in that kind of environment right. is very difficult. So, so back to my original question, I'm just kind of imagining you're in the army. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the intelligence community is sort of. You know, I was a part. You know, like the the the, the intelligence community is very integrated. So it, it it's in a in an environment like Iraq, it's saying that you're you know you're doing def defense mission, but you're working with contractors, right. you're working with you know civilians. It's if there's no like the intelligence community in a, in a combat environment, you know, in a joint combat environment like that, everybody's kind of interchangeable. It's not. It's like what your your role and position really yeah. is separated from where you sit within yeah. that. Just kind of how much you get paid when you get, you know, when you, that, every month, like a contractor will get paid 10 times as much as a junior listed person. But, you know, uh, a, a civilian will get paid about a third as much as the contractor, mm -hmm. you know. So you're doing this work while you're feet, but so you're 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 still in kind of the regulation. You're in a buzz cut. You're in military right. men's clothes all the time. Well, you're I mean, in a men's barracks. Yeah, yeah, and you're really uncomfortable in your body, and well, yeah. increasingly. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a trans. I'm a trans person, so I mean, uh, and I I knew this going. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I knew that there was something. I knew I was trans, or I knew that there was something different about me as uh, as a person, and so dealing with that in you know, I I I, I enlisted in the military. You know, I enlisted in the military sort of at this point in time in my life where I'm like having to decide, like, you know, what I want to do with my life. And I'd just been homeless for about six months in Chicago um, in 2006, and so I come back, you know, or I. I um, my aunt comes mm -hmm. and I live with her for a, a for a short period of time or for a period of time. And as I'm living there, um, I'm working two do two jobs. Yeah. I'm working as a barista, as a sales rep uh, at a you know. At a, I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch for a short period of time. Uh, you know, like I'm just doing like I'm working almost like with along, and I'm also going to community college. So that's about a hundred hours a week of just like balancing yeah. between college, job, job, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I kind of burned out, especially because I was still grappling with who I was, like as a as as a person, but both as like a queer person and as a trans person. And I really was only starting to grapple with this when um, I. Uh, when you know my father really insisted upon you know he was, he had kicked me out of the house a year earlier, um, but uh, I was still in communication with him and he really encouraged me. He's like, well, I was in the navy, you know, so and he was in intelligence too, right? Right. He was yeah. He was in he was in he he worked he worked in the intel field the uh, in the seventies uh, and I uh, and he uh, encouraged me to enlist in the navy or the air force, um, but the Iraq war was going on at the time. And so the surge 
like this sort of my mm. my awareness of the huh. bigger world was yeah. was starting to was like coming through you know yeah. evening television at at the dinner table it's on in the background it's just the surge and um, this debate about uh, increasing the number of people in Iraq and I felt like and things were spiraling out of control there and so like I felt like I can maybe be a part of something or do something or change something in some way um, and uh, and also like deal with who I am as a person because I don't know who I am uh, and uh, and then my father was encouraging me based on structure and job uh, and job security um, and so yeah I enlist you know I, I came to this this point where I, I had to make a decision about what what to do with my life and and um, and I didn't want to deal with the gender stuff. So, you know, like I... I it's a good place to avoid it. Well, yeah, it is a good place to avoid it. And I... Yeah, that, 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 that was, those were sort of the combination yeah. of factors that led me to, to do that. And, and, and it, you know, I did great it on me, you know, especially when I'm out in the field and, mm -hmm. like, all I do... Like, my entire life is work. You know, I don't have... I don't really have a private life. You know, I don't really have... Because um, I have, you know, and Don't Ask Don't Tell was... Yeah. Right at the time, and I had a relationship with a boyfriend for a while, um, and that was a secret. So, like everything, like my like private life was just all secret and hidden and um, not visible to everyone else because yeah. I had to you know, hide it. Mm -hmm. So you got into your work, like did you? I did. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I thought I'm going to math the crap out of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like, you know, and, you know, I, 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 I did, I was really into doing, you know, this work. Um, but the, the, the challenge was, you know, like not, I couldn't view it as statistics or a math problem anymore once I got to Iraq. And I actually was there for a few months. You know, you start realizing that these are people and that, you know, the decisions we're making are arbitrary based on the whims of some, you know, uh, Usually, the political wins of whoever is in charge at the time, at varying you know levels, um, it's more about uh, trying to jockey for you know who can have the thing that you. It's just there was this difference between working in an office and working at a conference in a conference room and briefing people at a conference room based based on the statistical data mm -hmm. and seeing you know hundreds of thousands of people, you know, living in, living in just terror every day. Um, and, you know, this is their, like, we, we were there and we were the intruders. We were the occupiers. Mm -hmm. We were the, the people, like, made, you know, this was their home and, like, I don't know. It just was a lot for me to take in. It's very hard for me to talk about still, you know, um, I just that the the data sets that you see in that mm -hmm. in my case they're you know especially with, the, with in regards to Iraq and Afghanistan they're what happened mm -hmm. it's a historical record of what happened but it's also there's also an emotional aspect to it from my vantage point because there's like every single incident is people's lives being mm -hmm. changed or altered in some significant way or insignificant way, but still, you know, impactful. And there's just, it's happening again and again and again. And it's just this feedback loop of, you know, 
retribution, violence, revenge, Mm -hmm. anger, frustration, loss, loneliness, uh, people having these close relationships, um, rip, you know, like ripped apart, people losing their lives and just, ah, just so much stuff there, the best and worst of humanity, you know? Sorry. No. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, your decision to share the information or, or share something of what became clear to you as a, a moral, ethical imperative, um, was it partly because of us? Like, you know, was it partly that you were experiencing and feeling something that we couldn't know as we went about our lives, not really knowing what was going on in I mean, Iraq and Afghanistan? Or you know, it was like, nobody was talking about it anymore. And I think yeah. that, you know, uh, and I remember, I distinctly remember kind of a glossing over by the, the, the media at the mm-hmm. time. You know, it was sort of like, yeah. oh, well, you know, Iraq, went bad in a couple years ago, but it's okay now. The surge, it's like the language was just... Well, no, it was, this was after the surge. After the you know, this was like after, you know, um, after the election of a new administration mm-hmm. coming in. And people had moved on, but, you know, it still it hadn't gotten, you know, the situation hadn't gotten better necessarily. Right. It was just not talked about anymore. Right. It was just... After the surge, and that's what I remember. It there was this sort of right, talk but of you know what you know what people don't silence. understand about the surge is that you know it was all we all we did was boost numbers and then let them handle it themselves mm-hmm. and pick a side in certain neighborhoods and then let I don't know. It's just really intense stuff, and I I mean basically like you. We just allowed an ethnic ethnic cleansing to happen. Mm. That was what happened. Mm. I mean, we. I mean, that there's. I don't. Like, I, we can gloss on. We can gloss over it about like the the large the the troop numbers bolstering. You know, whatever. But like we all, all we did in 2006 and 2007 is we like went into certain neighborhoods. We said we're picking this side, and we're gonna help them deal with it. And just, you know, it was just, it just, it was an acceleration of the deterioration to the point where uh, you just had, you know, because it was a mixed country previously, and now it's no longer a mixed country. You know, you've got, you've got neighborhoods that are not mixed anymore Mm -hmm. because of what happened in 2006 and Mm -hmm. 2007. And so, do you remember what it was like when you started to think, or did it happen all at once? Like, what if I... um, let the world know. We already know. That's the thing. It's like we always, we always know what the problems are. We always know what the situation is. We always know what we're facing. And then we just know, we, 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 we ignore it or we don't talk about it. We're usually aware of the problem. And then we, we either look away or we don't look away. I mean, there's just like, what, at what point do we make that choice to like not look away anymore? Because I was doing that previously. I was like, I'm going to just math this problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we as people in our lives, you know, we make decisions every day about whether we're going to ignore something or not. And I just, we just have to figure it out. You're so fierce and strong. And I, I remember before, um, you know, when I just sort of read about you and read about the events leading up to your incarceration and the WikiLeaks stuff, um, 
you looked really different, you know, just like you looked like a quieter person. And when I met you tonight and just kind of reading about you, you were just so funny and fierce and sharp and confident. And I wonder, like, when did that happen? Were you like that? Um, I mean, I was. It was just, it's just, you know, a, whenever you're, you know, whenever you're cut off from the outside world, Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, like I was never a public figure before, you know, I became a public figure. I became a public figure while being separated completely from the outside yeah. world. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody just kind of put their, uh, said whatever they wanted about me. And mm-hmm. like, that was what became truth, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the same person as I was before. I mean, I have the same personality at the le- at, at the very least. I mean, nothing's different about that. I mean, you know, and I don't I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm dealing with a lot right now because I just got out ten months ago, yeah. and I'm a public figure. But I'm also like a public figure who's been out there for seven years, and I don't I had not no say in that except yeah. for a you know I, I eventually started to get some semblance of being able to be out there through a through like Twitter and like writing, but mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't seeing the outside world I wasn't feeling it like what it's like out here and you know and and seeing the world as it's developed in the last seven years is just I mean I'm grappling with the fact that you know like I, everybody's worried about like everybody's asking me questions about seven years ago and I'm just like look or eight years ago and I'm looking in front of me right now yeah. and I'm like I, the like the biggest crisis of our lives is like right in front of us and I don't I I, I don't <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a lot for me because I'm like, <laughs> I've gone from, from you know, being the, the, the frying pan and being mm-hmm. put out into the fire, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Totally. You know, because I, I, you know, I came out of prison, you know, just a few months ago. And, yeah. you know, I, I see the, you know, like, I, I know what it's like to be in an occupied country. And I just see that, you know, it's like in certain, you know, in certain, in the most vulnerable neighborhoods in the country, you know, I mean, just like in 20, you know, just like in 2010, I see that, you know, there's an enormous, you know, mil- you know, like a militant paramilitary presence of our police force. And, 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 and the surveillance apparatus and the like dismantling of institutions, I'm just seeing, like, I mean, just, it's like, it's haunting me right. because I'm just seeing it happen in front of me, but it's now it's happening in a place that feels eerily familiar. Yeah. Well, you're, you're really an expert on that because, you know, most of us have been uh, becoming more and more dependent on our cell phones over the last seven years. Uh, you know, most people I know aren't surprised that Cambridge Analytica harvested our data from a personality quiz people took on Facebook. Well, I that mean, was their mission statement. To <laughs> harvest our data. I read a thing which they basically, like, acknowledged what their mission goal, what their mission was and pretty straightforward. So, so, so for, for most of us, you know, we're constantly clicking away the agreements and all of that, but you keep your electronics in a microwave. Well, no, no, I mean, I, that was a temporary measure. That was, I, was, I had, I, I bought other things later. Okay. So you caught up, you caught up. Do you have, well, a- yeah, but it takes, you know, you like Amazon packages, like take a couple days to get there. Yeah, exactly. So you have your iPhone eight now and you're yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna talk about like my specific like procedures and in terms of, like securing like my things, but um, but yeah, like you know, 
I, 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 you know, like I, I'm, a, and I'm operating at paranoid levels of security. Like mm -hmm. it's, this is not recommended, recommended for everyone. Um, but maybe of, you could, maybe you could give us a few, um, a little perspective on sort of, you know, coming, emerging into the world as someone who really understands and knows a lot about this, and yet you've been isolated from a lot of the changes in uh, digital security. And what, what, what I. What should we be afraid of? Well, I, I mean, you I, said you said somewhere. I wasn't I wasn't completely isolated from the outside world. I could read about the outside world. The problem is, is that I can read about the outside world all day and not feel it and yeah. not experience yeah. it. And yeah. that's where I'm, yeah. where I'm really starting to 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 to, to right. deal with this is the fact that I, I was reading about it in the abstract. And again, you know, I'm very good at being able to like separate this abstract world. Uh, and like you know, math it yeah, if you will, yeah. and then and then start to feel and experience it, and I'm, that's happening to me now. Like right. I'm, it's like a, right. it's 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 happening in reverse order because now it's as I'm coming out into the world mm -hmm. from from seven years of being away, I'm experiencing the world, and I mean, what isn't there? I mean, the pro the problem I'm having isn't is it like what is the thing that frightens you the most? It's what what is the thing that gives you the most hope, and what is the thing that that frightens you the least and it's harder to ask those questions mm -hmm. and it what what does give you hope i mean I, i've got really close friends that stand by me and look out for me and that i trust and that it's the people to our left and right immediately to, that we're sitting right next to that we can depend on more than anyone else not some magical algorithm or some policy or some institution or some investigation or anything like it just like we just need each other so i know i know you've thought about this a lot like what are some practical ways that Americans right now who feel, uh, you know, scared all the time, um, disillusioned, miserable and hopeless. Like, what, what can we actually practically do? What would you do? I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel right now. <laughs> I mean... But we've held you up. <laughs> Our hope is resting. Well, I mean, you know... Uh... You know, I, as I learned in prison, and I learned, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to say it again, like, it's the people that are right next to us that can really get us through. I mean, in prison, the thing that I learned above all else, especially when I got to general population, was that we're not isolated and alone, and that we have each other, and... Um, and that, you know, whenever we feel... In an environment like that, where it's, like, the most intense, it's the most horrible, you know, environment, you know, in terms of, like, violence and intensity by the state, and, you know, because, like, it's, it, you know, it's not the, it's not other inmates that cause you the problems, it's, it's, it's usually the prison guards, and whenever you're, and when you're in a situation like that, you have to band together, and look out for each other, and be there for each other, and, you know, it could be something as simple as, as we, we, we I mean, we would be given these ration sheets, and it was a paper sheet in which you had to fill out what what rations you wanted for the next few weeks, you know, and you always had to do this in advance. 
And that paperwork always went wrong. And it never went wrong because of anything we did. We get blamed for it and we wouldn't get our rations. And, you know, this isn't like candy bars and, you know, chips or anything like that. This is like toothpaste, toilet paper, towels, Mm -hmm. uh, soap, shampoo, conditioner, like basic stuff. Like, you know, if it it was processed incorrectly by them for whatever reason, then we just didn't get our stuff. So we would stockpile it, you know, mm-hmm. if we could, you know, and give it to and spread it among each other. And this was against the rules, mm-hmm. but it kept, you know, we, we, we looked out for each other and we were there for each other. And anytime that there was one of us that was in a trouble, like by the, by, by them, we would be there for each other to fight together mm-hmm. and stand up for each other. You know, and, and so I hesitate to, 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 to do the same thing out here. I hesitate to, like, fill out the, the equivalent of an administrative request to whatever authority, mm-hmm. you know, because I've never seen that work, mm-hmm. you know. I've always mm-hmm. had to depend on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and, and in the worst situations, I always found hope within, not... Like, nobody could give you hope. I think there's this, like, language mm. thing that, that's, like, interesting. It's interesting to, like, dissect the language yeah. of how we talk about hope. Like, nobody can give you hope. Hope is something you have. You have to find it within yourself. And it's there regardless. It's like a spring. It, like, wells up from within. It just... That's where I find it. That's where I find it. I did, nobody, like, gave, you know, situations where I'm just faced with, like, absolute hopelessness on the outside world, I'm still able to find it even whenever it's not readily available, like, from, the, from an external source. It's, a, it's something that's intrinsic. And that's where, you know, that, the motto that I use a lot on the Internet is, like, the hashtag, we got this. Mm-hmm. What we got this is, is it's just a reminder to myself you know, that even when if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that doesn't mean that we can't keep trudging and fighting. Just because we can't see it, we don't know it's there. And maybe, maybe you know, I, I, I kept on fighting even though I, I never thought I'd get out of prison. You know, I, and I just kept going. And I, I'm, now I'm out and I'm, I'm in the same situation. I'm, just, I'm going, but I don't, see the, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's not going to stop me from going. Sorry. Do you want to talk about, like, um, uh, I don't know, Mark Jacobs or... <laughs> we could talk about something lighter for a moment if you want, or... Sure. Okay. I was saying to Chelsea, we're, we're the same height, and I was saying I was reading an article in Vogue that was just so hilarious after all of these sort of heavy things about, you know, half the faculty at the Kennedy School quitting after she's invited to be a fellow, which is well, like... Was just, ha- how was it half the faculty? Well, it was like four people. It was like two. It was incredibly impressive. I was they so impressed. Real faculty. I was so impressed, like the, the acting head faculty. of the CIA and... They got Sean Spicer instead. They booted Chelsea out. It was like, you can't make this stuff up. I think you should, on the back of your book, you should just use as your blurbs all of the people who um, attacked you and why. It's kind of I mean, great. It's a long list. It's a really, really great who's who of... Uh, <laughs> well, I just... 
I mean, there's two things I want to say about that. Um, I mean, in particular with Har with Harvard, like it was just another event that I was doing on a list. I just I didn't expect. I never knew it was going to be this thing. You know, it was just very funny on our end because, you know, like I I had a number of places that mm -hmm. I, I was mm -hmm. I was traveling, and I mean, it just like this controversy just broiled out of nowhere. It was strange, um, you know, and and counterintuitive. And you know, it's this no. There's this notion about. I, I and I, I'm going back to language. Like, there's this language of power. Yeah. People in power, whenever you challenge them, they have names for you. And they have all these different, this range of different names depending on who you are and what your position is or wherever you are. You know, whether it's, whether it's criminal or traitor or undocumented or illegal or, you know, uh, there's just all these, like, anytime that you're standing on the opposite side, and in contrast to them, they have word, they have these labels, and that, that it's just unquestioned. You know, like this authority figure tell, says, they're this, they're X, and, you know, this is the language of power. This is how you know, when you're getting these labels, you know that you're challenging authority, you're challenging power, mm -hmm. you know. Especially in this moment, um, a lot of people who are called traitors are... Heroes. Yeah, it's just getting thrown around a, whole, a lot more yeah. than it used to. So, yeah, I guess but it started a trend. But it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but it's scary. You know, like Trump's new national security advisor called you a traitor and said you should get the death penalty. And this oh yeah, is like but a national I mean, security he was advisor. The UN ambassador under the Bush administration. I mean, what more is there to say? Exactly, exactly. So maybe this is where the criminals and traitors should stand up together. I mean, um, well, we I mean, it's, just, it's just like this power dynamic. There's this power differential, you know, and mm -hmm. the, 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 these terms and the, 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 the power differential is like what determines these terms. And they, they don't have, you know, like nationally, I just look, look at the phrase national security. You know, it's it's a word that it's a phrase that gets thrown around so much by people in power. But you, the, the, there's a definition for national security, and the def definition is actually anything of and relating to the national defense or foreign relations. That's an incredibly broad mm -hmm. definition, mm -hmm. and that anything falls under that. And so, anything that's in contrast to the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. The, the in the na in the, which is the national defense, or foreign relations, which is the State Department, right. Right. or any like any, any anything that falls under this whole rubric and this whole guise of national security, it's just really broad, mm -hmm. and I think that needs to be challenged. You know, this notion of like these these power you know these powerful words that don't have any meaning when you actually like dissect them and you dissect. The, the, the power to, like, I spend more time looking at the differentials between the police versus a criminal, uh, the, the, you know, ICE versus, an ICE agent versus a, an undocumented person. If you look at the labels and look at all this, you just realize that there's nothing really there. It's just a, per, it's just a you know, an authority figure saying, I say that you're X, therefore you should not 
you, you should be dealt with and not exist. Mm -hmm. So it's a power differential. And if you analyze that out further and further, you see that there's all these interests that go behind these mm -hmm. power differentials. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's, this is the language of power. There's just mm -hmm. the power, mm -hmm. powerful people use this language to, to label people. Mm -hmm. So if it weren't illegal to cross an imaginary line that we right. call Right, it's a an ima imaginary mm -hmm. line through the middle of a desert. Like how, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. It's not just here. It's like across the world. And I mean, as, as you learned, I mean, like one of the things that, you, that I had to do as an analyst was understand Middle Eastern history. Like the, the mm -hmm. and I'm just going to go back a little bit to sort of Iraq, for instance. Yeah. Iraq just came out of nowhere. Right. You know, because it just came out of this notion of, of like, you know, the Brits and the French get together one time and they're like, oh, I'll take this part and I'll mm -hmm. take this part. Mm -hmm. So they just, it's just like powerful, you know, imperialist powers divvying up the world in these like arbitrary chunks, mm -hmm. you know, that had with, without any regard as to the people there, you know, like that's how, the, that, that's what all these lines are, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with, you know, w w with any of these lines, you know, it's just, it's, it's just the world being divvied up by people in power, you know, and, and interests. And, and then we, we're, people fight over this. Mm -hmm. And then even crossing those lines can criminalize people, which requires us to make more prisons to Right, uh, exactly. House them. It's, it's almost like it, it's just a self-perpetuating machine of, of interested parties that stay in, in power because they divvy up the world. Mm-hmm. That reminds me that um, this is kind of the moment in the evening where if you have questions for Chelsea, I think everyone has a note card. And uh, just to remind you to put your question on the card, and there will be ushers coming through in a little while to um, collect the cards. Because by the time I'm ready for the cards and we're ready for the cards, uh, I want to make sure you've had a chance to ask your question. All right. All right. What else should we talk about? Um... Can we talk a little about, um, uh, you, you were saying that when you, were, when you were in prison, your story was being told by lots of people on the outside, and I was thinking there was an off-Broadway play, there was an well, opera, uh, you know, all kinds of news coverage. Everybody was, like, no, nobody really knew me, but everybody was, like, portraying me. And I, mm. I'm really just, what, what I've been dealing with a lot is this, I almost, I want to say cult of personality that started to happen while I was inside. Huh. And, you know, and it's it just, it's a lot for me to deal with because I'm not used to this. I'm not ready for this. I just, I'm just, I'm in my mind, in my experience, I'm just the street kid from the streets of Chicago still. And I'm just like thrown, I've been thrust into another, you know, weird set of circumstances as I'm getting like, thrown out here and it's a you know like I, I don't know like I, I I don't know I feel like I feel like there's expectations being placed on me and I'm just like I'm never going to be able to meet them you know and and I, you know people call me people call me a hero and I'm just like I you know I'm that's really hard <laughs> uh yeah uh and you know and, and a role model I mean I had somebody ask me like oh like how do you feel about being a role model just a few weeks ago and I'm just like Actually, I need a role model right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I'm. This is tough. And, yeah. Um, but that's where I, that, you know, that's where I am. It's like I'm, you know, and I'm sorry to disappoint, but I'm just, I'm just me. I'm not. 
They're just going to love I don't have any more. special powers. Or <laughs> and I'm good. And I'm, and I'm going to screw up, you know, like it happens. You could screw up. Yeah. Um, did you have, um, did you have any heroes growing up? I was always looking up to my sister. You know, she, 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 she was the person who like, you know, helped me out when I, you know, would like scrape myself or, you know, like get, you know, she, she, she never got mad at me either. Like, you know, like I, I screwed up Christmas once by opening up all the... <laughs> but you know she didn't get mad at she didn't get mad at me you know like she she like just was there and I I love my sister and she means a lot to me and you know I, I she was a real hero to me and a real idol and I wanted to be like her it's great that you were like you <laughs> yeah um I read that um while you were sending files to Julian Assange, you were listening I, to... That, let's not make that assumption. I have no idea. What? I don't know. I still don't know. Like, I don't know who. Who? Okay, okay. Yeah, there's like seven people. I mean, okay. I don't know. So you're sending files. I don't know. I don't know who. Like, everybody's like acting like I know who. I don't know. Like, this is like 2010. This is a completely different Right, different situation. world. Don't make yeah. those assumptions, okay. please. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> but you were listening to Lady Gaga? I mean, no, I mean, I mean, that, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, there's a lot of detail about what happened, and I'm just not going to be able to get into it. There's a lot of details, and it just, it's really complicated. I was thinking about Lady Gaga's shoes. Um, I was reading an article about you in Vogue that I, I told you this. It was just so ridiculous. It was saying, um, you know, Chelsea Manning is just several inches above five feet. And I was like, why wouldn't they just say, like, your height instead of, like, you know, but I guess it's Vogue and you're supposed to be really tall. But I was thinking about Lady Gaga, who, you know, to become Lady Gaga puts on 12-inch heels. It's like, who could wear 12-inch heels? And Not me. I just, I just wear flats. Yeah, but... But the idea of, you know, I've always thought, like, what a weird thing, like, to become somebody else. But of course she's got to become somebody else to be sort of larger than life. And I think the problem that you're raising is, like, you can't just automatically, you know, fill this giant bubble of projection that people are going to uh, place on you. Well, I don't even know what that is yet. I'm still, still trying to grapple what that was. So... I, I wish we could give you, like, um, you know, a, a, a virtual pair of 12-inch heels that you wouldn't actually have to wear, but you could just sort of... <laughs> I wouldn't wear them. Have. Do people, um, like, want to date you all the time? What? Do people, like... <laughs> I mean, like, are people sort of looking for you all the time, like, trying to... You were talking about it's being a very a personal question. I know. It's, it's, it's my job. <laughs> I think we're supposed to we're supposed to start the questions in about 12 minutes but if we have questions now we could start Do you think that encryption and technology can help the democratic process? First off, what is the democratic process? <laughs> uh, 
I think, I, I think that encryption and technology can help in a number of ways to make people, uh, it, it protects in terms of privacy, it can protect uh, in terms of ensuring uh, authenticity of things, uh, all the all, all the tools that we've seen come out of um, out of out of like the recent out of recent years, like uh, whether it's you know P, whether it's GPG or uh, Signal or uh, Bitcoin or any other like uh, cryptocurrency, like we've he, we've seen better, um, you know, like there, there's a continuum of like getting better, but I mean. It's only it's like these tools are only as good as how they're used and how effectively they're used, and also how effectively they're not compromised. So, you know, having you know ha having tools as you know, just just having something encrypted doesn't necessarily mean it's secure or that it's that it's not compromised. You know, there's varying degrees of how effective these tools can be because they're only tools. Um, that said, I do think that they can, that if, if we, as democratically as possible, like not necessarily dependent on a process, but if we, as a society, you know, come together and, and really come together to produce robust tools and open source, you know, tools, then we can at least make sure that, you know, these, that particular sectors of society function better and we're just we're just scratching the surface of what we can do with encryption i just worry about the interests of who develops encryption software in certain situations uh, you know like we we should maintain uh, a sort of more open um and less proprietary uh and, and you know more open-ended and more you know free in the the like the like uh, not free as in beer sense um, not not free as in like free beer but free as in freedom kind right. of notion right. of uh, of like developing encryption mm -hmm. software you know um, but yeah I think that it it can certainly improve uh, it, can, it, it encryption is just beginning to improve parts of our lives while also making other parts of our lives miserable yeah. Yeah. How do you practice self-care and self-love when the public continuously replays and dissects your trauma? Wow. Uh, great question. I'm still figuring that out. Self-care, um, self-care, self-care. I talk about a lot about self-care because I'm really struggling with it myself. Um, I have to make sure I breathe. I have to make sure I sleep. I have to make sure I eat. Um, and I eat healthy. Uh, it's very hard. Um, I'm trying to have a more. I'm trying to have a more regular schedule uh, in my daily life. Um, I'm trying to meditate more. Uh, it's hard. Uh, I'm also trying to take care of you know some of my own personal life plans, um, which you know have you know because I've been come come I came out in this whirlwind. Mm -hmm. You know I've been. Uh, struggling to find time for, but um, but yeah, you know, uh, and so, sometimes it's just as simple as reading something as simple as reading a book or having a dinner with friends or playing a video game or um, just being for a minute, but without, you know, I have to stay off social media too. I've been cutting that 
I've been cutting more and more of that out of my daily life. Um, you know, I've been, I've, and I've been tweeting less. Uh, I've kind of, you know, mostly because I don't want to get into the habit of being inauthentic for the sake of some expectation. So I, you know, like I, I, I've, now that I have control over my Twitter account, that, that means I also have control over when I don't do something and when I, you know, um, and I've got a very, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a lot of time to figure this stuff out, but I also have a lot of, you know, things on my plate right now. So self-care is difficult and it's just, it, and it's a, it's a struggle to balance all of that. Um, I, I can always do better. I'm drinking water right now. Yeah. <laughs> but that's only because we couldn't find Dr. Pepper, right? <laughs> Not a plug here. <laughs> what can we do to help support trans people who are incarcerated, um, small and large actions? Get them out of prison. Companies like Google and Twitter are well known for using AI and algorithms to tailor and control content. Do you have any worries about the manipulating um, some, their systems to control who gets seen and who doesn't? What's really interesting about uh, this question is that I'm actually grappling with something even deeper because like big companies like Google and Facebook and uh, so all these social media companies, you know, they're, they're developing software and they're managing content and creating these like bubbles of, you know, feedback loops, you know, where somebody wants to see more content so it's t more finely tailored right. for a particular group of people. For instance, um, I, I might like cat photos. Uh, so I'm going to be... The, the algorithm notices that I like cat photos, therefore it sends me more cat photos and then I end up not seeing dog photos because right. of that. Right, right. That's sort of a simple explanation of that. What, what I think is interesting is that you have a lot of these companies and a lot of, uh, you know, like what, whether it's corporate interests or political interests or government interests that are trying to parse through and try to nudge people in particular directions using the algorithms. I'm just, I'm very worried because I remember this like sense of like human intention mm -hmm. being placed on an algorithm that I noticed while I was in Iraq because I noticed that we in, in engaging in an activity, we would also be predictable we would also be, you know, w w like the decision makers are also predictable. They can also be put into the algorithm. So the feedback, we are just as much a part of the, like the Facebook and Google and the executives are just as much as a part of that feedback loop as anyone else. So the question is, who's really in control anymore? Is it us or the algorithms? And that symbiotic relationship where we're blinded by our, our own arrogance of intention mm -hmm. is just... Is, is, is I think the deeper question here. You know, when we have this gigantic, when we have all these gigantic institutions of power that think they, that, that think they're in control and they think they have power, who really does? Mm -hmm. 
is I think the deeper question. Great answer. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement for activists in the fight for equal rights and for socialism? Um, we got to work together. Like, and I've been saying, you know, I said this earlier, but like, we're not going to be able to ask for somebody to do something. We have to do it ourselves. We have to stop, you know, we have to ex stop expecting, you know, and, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, the, 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 the way that these systems work, you know, is, is we, you know, they, they encourage us to, you know, like, whenever we're, like, asking for rights. And that's a very interesting question, like, right, this notion of rights. Institutions, like, we should never be in place in a position where we're asking an institution for our rights. The thing is, we already have rights. We just need to assert them. So it's a... So, you know, like, there's this notion of, like, the language, you know, because, like, le you know, there's this notion of legal rights, which I think is not the correct interpretation of understanding rights. It's more of we have rights uh, that are inherent to us mm -hmm. that we need to assert. Uh, and whenever we do that, you know, uh, it, it's regardless of whether it's legal or not. We, 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 it's not, you know, like... Um, and we have, you know, like, I, and from my own experience, you know, in sort of the queer rights movement, I look at marriage equality, where it was this notion of like, oh, if we just work hard enough and ask the institutions, like, you know, to, to, to give, you know, to give us the right of marriage, then we will, you know, our lives will be better. And if that's not what panned out. That's, you know, uh, the movement ended up being co-opted by the establishment and, uh, and all of that energy got sort of petered out whenever we had a victory. And um, it didn't help, you know, it didn't help queer and trans kids on the street. It didn't help somebody like me whenever I was a homeless kid. You know, like, it, what, like if I was in that position, like, what, well, what does marriage equality do for right. me at, you know, 18 years old on the street? And, you know, I mean, that, and that's just based on my own experience. Mm -hmm. So... I, I think that there's lessons to be learned in that. Mm -hmm. What is the most dangerous technology or unethical application coming into our future? It's an interesting question because it's the, it's the convergence of different technologies and the like integration, you know, it, uh, think of a, a, of, of a, a mobile phone, for instance. A mobile phone now is the convergence of many different technologies. As we see more and more of these technologies converge, um, you know, like whether it's a camera or, um, you know, to, to take a camera that can see a long distance, mix it with a self-flying plane, mix it with uh, understanding, you know, being able to, to, to uh, understand a, 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 an environment and have, and then take that with like a surveillance platform. And you've got some dangerous tools that mix together. You know, you've, you've essentially got, you know, a, a death robot plane that can predict people's, you know, and that can target people based on, you know, data. So it's the convergence of a lot of these seemingly disparate and separate technologies. And that's one of the reasons why I, I warn a lot of people in technology and technologists, like, think about the implications of the technology that you're developing and 
sort of war game it, like mm. like red game it from mm. like view it from a different per- angle. Like think about how your tool that that that's for good could be misused just as much as it can be used for good, and mm. that's how we can avoid making you know the 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 like self flying death plane. But aren't they coming out of different companies? Like, they're all thinking their mission is... Exactly, yeah. which is why technologists need to work together yeah. Yeah. outside of the notion of institutions. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's Google or Facebook or even the government, you know. Like, we have to communicate with each other. We have to talk about what we're, what, what we're building because, it's again, it's, a, it's not, you know, like, your tool can be used for other things. Mm. You know, it's... It, it, that wasn't always, you know, that wasn't always the case, but we're seeing more and more of this convergence of really dangerous tool, of these really dangerous tools that on their own seem innocuous. But it's the confluence, it's right. the convergence of them <laughs> and how they can be, and, and how they can be misused. And we're, they're being misused right now. It's not, this isn't a hypothetical, mm-hmm. you know, like if ha- this is already happening, you know. Can you think of an example? Yeah, I mean, you know, your your phone is a gigantic, you know, you, all of our cell phones are surveillance platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when we're, you know, driving our cars, uh, on, you know, whenever we, we're navigating with our cars, you know, we're, we're, you know, like, we're basically taking, tra- you know, they're taking traffic patterns and, you know, like, mm-hmm. the, those traffic patterns can be used to manipulate, you know, entire population um, for, for advertising purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's all, the, and, and this is happening right now, and it's affecting, it's not, you know, and it's not affecting, like, just anyone. It's, like, disproportionately affecting the most vulnerable communities. Mm-hmm. You know, like, these, these technologies are already hurting people. And, you know, it just, it just feels, you know, it just feels, whenever you're inside of this bubble that is, you know, Silicon Valley especially, you know, you, you don't feel it or see it. But, you know, like the tools that we're developing all the time are already, you know, doing very dangerous and, and, and damaging things. And so, you know, the, mo- the, mo- the most dangerous technology, I guess, in any moment is the one that you're working on that you're not paying attention to. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Have you spoken with Edward Snowden about your shared experiences yet? And if not, what might you say to him or ask him? No, I've just I've I've only communicated uh, through lawyers. So, interesting. What have you done that you're most proud of? Uh, wow. Thing I've done that I'm most proud of. It's a really good question. I think becoming who I am and really feeling it has been very prideful in me on a really intense level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I feel like, you know, like when I started, you know, when I started Hormones like in, 20, in 2015, like I had to fight, you know, an entire legal battle mm-hmm. that lasted, you know, two years to get to that point. And, and then, you know, actually, you know, like continue fighting after that. And so... You know, that felt, you know, like the, the, these like little victories have the cumulative effect of that, you know, and, and making my life feel, making me feel more like me has been absolutely, you know, an accomplishment that I like and I, that I enjoy and that I feel, and I'm not done. <laughs> Thank you.
I was thinking about that earlier, just 10 months that you've been out and um, being in a, a theater like this and having, you know, 750 people seeing you as you and as a hero, it must be so intense, but I hope that's a, a, a feeling of pride and joy. <laughs> what was your I'm free moment after being released from prison? I'm actually, I haven't had one yet. <laughs> That's, I don't know. I, I didn't really get it. I didn't really feel it. Um, and I questioned whether it was real. And now, you know, and it, I feel like being out here, you get the illusion of choice. You get the illusion of being able to do things. But it's based purely on these, like, how much money you have, where you fit in society, you like this notion that, that you actually have any, and you know, like we can start to get into like determinism and all that other philosophical stuff, but, which I regularly do, but, <laughs> um, but it's like this, this feeling of, you know, being free never materialized and I still don't have it. And, mm. you know, that, and living out here now for a while I, I, I'm starting to realize that I, I'm, I'm even questioning whether or not I was ever free to begin with. Mm. Or whether any of us are. What would be your number one book recommendation as far as an informative book on what's going on in the world? You read a lot, right? I do read a lot. That's a great question. Uh, I read a lot of books. Uh, wow. <laughs> Is there a book? Um, I wouldn't say that there's a definitive book. Uh, I know that I have found reading a lot of history books lately, especially history books that are more... Um, contemporary analysis of, mm. you know, sort of like looking at primary source documents again, I've found that I learned, that I've learned far more from a, a, from a history book that is less a composition or a compilation of other history books uh, and that actually go back and look at primary source material because uh, you, you often find that because somebody a century ago looked at something uh, and they interpret it in their way. They only they picked and choo chose like certain parts. So I've I've like had a lot of my understanding of history like, sort of reevaluated by by um, by books that look back. Uh, you know, the, uh, um, so like and, and I can't think of any examples off the top of my head because there's so many. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, uh, sort of in the spirit of you know um, of Howard Zinn's like people a people's mm -hmm. history of the United States like. That, that was, was a very specific, like, big, big you know, moment for mm -hmm. me. But, I mean, I, I, was, re like, I, I was reading a, 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 queer a queer history of the United States, for instance, um, like, recently, about four or five years. Like, it came out, like, I think three or four years mm -hmm. ago. But, I mean, I read that recently. And, and uh, again, you know, it's sort of, like, going back and taking this, like, whitewashed history that's taught in schools and, right. you know, and that has, you know, percolated among academia and realizing... Oh my goodness! Like actually, all these problems have didn't just pop up out of nowhere. Right. These have been systemic problems that have been happening for centuries, right. 
and that are just being perpetuated and, um, and, and not, you know, like we're, we're always fighting these battles. We, we've always been fighting these battles. We just, some of us didn't see it as I think what it was. Yeah. I don't know. Thank you. It's a load of, that's a loaded question. It's a great answer. Um, I'm also a trans person working in tech. I feel like being trans and being a geek both have to do with taking apart structures and understanding them and making something new. Could you speak about this? Um, it's personal and something I don't quite understand myself. I mean, I break apart stuff all the time. <laughs> it actually annoys people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where, where the, the relationship is. I just, I, I find myself, you know, taking apart things, uh, looking at things, uh, reverse engineering things a lot. Um, I can relate there. Um, I've never really thought about the relationship, but I guess I am kind of deconstructing gender all the time. I mean, I just, I, you know, I'm, there's all these assumptions and rules, and whether it's like, putting on a 12-inch heel or something. Like, I'm never going to... That's an assumption I'm never going to... I don't think that's with. a rule. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's that just, you know, like, the, yeah. Just, I, 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 I relate. I don't, I don't know who that was, but, I mean, like, I definitely, like, I like taking things apart and breaking them apart. But, yeah, that's, that's cool. Let's, let's go reverse engineer something together. <laughs> What news source do you read and trust? What? <laughs> I mean, I, I read all of them, but I mean... <laughs> Don't trust a filter. And I mean that. Um, primary sources are so powerful. Just ask somebody, you know, see it for yourself. It's so hard, but I mean... I question all of the filtered stuff because, you know, I've, you know, because I've seen that, you know, and there's this cognitive dissonance that happens when you're in a position where you just see things happening and you just see the media and you're just like, what, what are you talking about? So, I mean, like the, 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 I have no trust in any media institutions to be fair, you know, and, and, and what, you know, like, like it's, 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 it's been this interesting, like, there's it, been this interesting, like, two-century, two like, growth and span of, like, what media is. Mm. You know, uh, it used to be, you know, pamphleteers and, you know, penny, you know, newspapers. And mm -hmm. they just made tr crap, you know, and then people bought it and it was just trash. You know, like, tr it was trash. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. Um, but, you know, like, in the, but with industrialization, you had these, like, big, huge media institutions that sort of dominated everything. They created the narrative. Mm -hmm. Like we have the most, you know, we have the most advertisers, and we were able to make an, a, 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 you know, enormous amount of money. Um, so we're able to build these big newsrooms and create the narrative. And you know, like journalism became this, this institution that was, at the end of the day, based off of advertising. Mm. What they like created, like ethics and standards mm. and rules, and like, and then it just became this like entrenched thing. And as that's been challenged with the internet, um, they're just, you know, we, we, see our, we see that we're just going full circle, you know, and we're, we're like, it was all, you know, a, it was all just a, a, the, the, this like notion of like this being the, the like, the, we're, we're here to find the truth and this is the narrative, like is, is, it was all 
hogwash to begin with, mm. you know? And, but we're, you know, by having all of these voices and all of these um, different, you know, sources of information, like, you still have the trash, but you also get the good stuff at the same time. And, like, we have to, like, as people mm. think, don't just <laughs> take it in, you know? We have to be our own filters. <laughs> And, you know, as we go back into pamphleteering, because that's what Twitter is, you know, we're back in the, yeah. we've gone from yeah. like anybody that has a piece yeah. of paper is like, hey, I yeah. wrote something, I had a printing press and I yeah. put it on here. You know, like we're back to that. So, you know, be careful. I'm going to give you this one. It says Manning 2020. <laughs> <laughs> How is your family taking your coming out as trans? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I told them. I actually... <laughs> I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was actually funny. Uh, I, am, I never got a chance to do it because I, I was sort of outed in 2011 before I actually came out in 2013. Um, so they kind of already knew. But... And they already, they kind of already knew anyway. But uh, so, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the moment was, but there was certainly an official moment in which I did so. But it was kind of pro forma because, like, they already knew. So right. I kind of was, was kind of going for the emotions. Uh, and I, um, yeah. But I was, I was glad that I was, I was given the opportunity the the day before sentencing to, um, to because I knew I was going to come out at some point in the next few days. Um, but yeah, I, I, I got the, the opportunity to, to, to reach out to everybody in my family and, 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 and explain everything to them. And, um, even though it seemed kind of silly because everybody knew it, at that point, it was just, but I, I gave them a, a chance and, uh, yeah. And to speak for yourself and to say it yourself, right? As opposed yeah, to... I did. Yeah. If you had to do it again, what might you have done differently? I mean, this is a question I could ask about anything. Like, should I have dated Tyler? Should I have stayed at Starbucks? I mean, you know, I, I ask these questions about lots of things all the time. Um, should I have come out as, I mean, probably the one I, you know, the one I go over the most is like, should I have come out as trans sooner? And I don't know what that would mean. And that's a tough one because, you know, that's the one I grapple with. You know, would I have done that? And I don't know because I would, I would have been a different person. The thing is, is that in any other circumstances, I would have been a completely different person. You know, like it's, right. I'm the person that I am because I made the decisions that I did because of the values that I have and the personality that I have and the moments that I have with the information that I have. I made, you know, I wouldn't be me if I didn't right. make the decisions that I did. Right. I think that's more true of you than many, many people. That's what I think. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your book? It's coming out next year. I mean, is this an opportunity to plug? Because my yeah. agent love it. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I have a, yes, I, I have a book that's coming out. Um, there's no date or anything. I'm uh, still writing it. Do you have a title? No. <laughs> All right. Then maybe a, a sort of feeling sense. Um, what would what 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 uh, you were saying backstage? How you'd like the book to feel? We were talking about Cheryl Strayed's Wild and kind of the ferocity of that book. And you have a fierce story. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and you know, we, we haven't really started. I mean, we're still writing the book, but um, I, uh, yeah, I, I just want it to be. It's it's going to be more. It's less of a this this like tell-all book. I'm just going to like just talk people through my life and all the the parts of who I am and where I come from and how it you know these moments that seem insignificant to y'all but are like really important to me and have shaped me um, and how the world has shaped me in the end and I'm going to go through all of that and so it's a it's really a journey it's not a it's not. It, it, it's a coming of age story. It's not a. a it's not like. It, it, it's not what I think people are. I, people are, are, are. You know. I, th I think a lot of people are, have expectations about what the book of what a book would look like. But um, uh, it's it, and it's been very hard to like try to fight to to get this to 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 get this book because like everybody wants me to talk about what happened in 2010, but it's it's more about who I am and mm -hmm. where I came from and how it's. And how it's, it's an emotional journey. It's not a. It's it, this is a book that is about. It's it's about. It's a, it's it's my it's my story. Mm -hmm. It's not you your story. I can't wait to read it. Um, we've come to the end of. I can't wait to write it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you luck. Um, well, we've come to the end of our questions and the end of our time. And thank you so much for being with us, Chelsea Manning. And Aww. Good night. No, thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast.